TJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. It's time to talk basketball with David Locke. His weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. David, this is the part where you say, good morning, TJ. I'm sorry. Good morning, PK. I was, good morning, DJ and PK. I was trying to sneak through somewhere to not wake up my wife this morning, but she was already awake, so it didn't matter. So I was trying to be a good husband there for a second. Not usually very good at that, but this is my week to try to save that. There you go. It is all-star break, and I think the last two games were very different. You were commenting on the air during the Laker game. Weird vibe in here, which PK and I interpreted as that's a beaten team and a beaten fan base, and uh, it's just uh, a very unusual vibe. There's usually way more hope in the building. And in the fourth quarter against the Warriors, you got that. It was normal. It was loud. They lost at the end, but uh, the vibe is back. Do you think over the final basically third of the season here after the All-Star break, we'll see the team play hard and compete? The you know feeling sorry for yourself and bummed about the trades and all that. I guess that's a process you go through. Well, they've gone through it now, right? Now we'll see competition, I mean, I, I fire. There, there definitely was like some soul. Like I, I thought we were soulless, kind of for three games there. Like if that's kind of an esoteric term, but I think I'd go with that. And I thought there was some soul that kind of returned, some like texture to me. Um, maybe those are all the same things you're saying and, and we're just saying the exact same thing and I'm trying to be fancy. Um, but that's, yeah, I did feel as though there was a little, little return of texture to the Utah jazz. Like that there was some substance to what they were doing last night. What do you think the chances are that they actually draft three players in consecutive drafts and keep them on the team? Unlikely. It's too many. But what do I think the chances are that you could take 34 and 28 and get to 20? Maybe, particularly depending if you have a team that's in the, like, tax or something of that sort that right. doesn't – I mean, I think there's just different ways to do it. Like, I think – like, I actually think 34 – or whatever that pick's going to be is a really interesting pick. Cause if I understand first, you can sign them for four years now. And two, if I understand the way the luxury tax teams work, it's better for them to have that pick almost than the 27th pick. So you could probably use, you know, I don't know, but you could use 30 to get to 27 and 27, 28 can you use 27, 28 to get to 20. What about the possibility of a player and a pick to get a better player and maybe to provide some relief to a team that needs to shed a little salary and is willing to give up a pretty good player? 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it just is giving you flexibility. I mean, or even take New York, right? Like everyone's talking about the great collection of picks New York has and all the things, and they've done great things with their moves. Um, You know, former Jazz front office guy Walt Perrin's been reunited with a bunch of Jazz players. Um, and so I think when you look at that, um, and the way that they've kind of, grow, you know, using none of their picks are very sexy, but it's just the fact that they have a bunch of them and people have been pretty excited about them. And then, you know, they actually didn't use a lot of them. They used the Evan Fournier contract and doing some things like that. So, um, I think, I just think having those pieces turns out to be really valuable. And I, and I really think, 
on the core of this. I, I know there's been just a lot of emotion about the trades, and, and I respect how much you know we love our own players and all those kind of things. I, I really, really, really think that it comes down to like one decision. And like I thought, Justin Zanuck said, you know, um, you know, we're playing bets, we're making bets. Here's the bet they made. The bet they made is that a late first-round draft pick in this upcoming draft will turn out to be more valuable to them either as a player or an asset than Ochai Baji. That's it. There weren't, there weren't really a lot of other bets being made there. Simone Fontecchio was a restricted free agent and a team with $70 million of cap space just called you and asked for him. It only means one thing. They're about to offer him a massive or decent-sized deal that you're probably not going to match. Like, as much as you like your player, like, it doesn't fit. He's 31 years old and blah, blah, blah. Like, Kelly Olenek's a free agent. So there was one bet that was made here. Yeah, I Can think Can I give that's... my other little thing that's driving me crazy right now? It's easy to understand what you're saying, but go ahead. I need a little help on this one. I keep listening and keep hearing this. Oh my gosh! Like we've ripped away the heart of the team, and I, I think we—I think it's like they liked the guys that got traded, right? And like Lowry's going to leave because now we're not like what were we going to do? Truly, let's just be totally freaking honest for a second. Like a team that Vegas had 36 wins at the beginning of the season is the projection, maybe 34. Tell me what you really think we were going to do. Like, we don't make a single trade. We hold together. We don't do anything to break everyone's heart. I got it. We love our players. I think it's awesome. But can we have a moment of reality? I want both of you to tell me where you think we would have finished on April 15th. The most likely scenario was that they would have been the ninth or 10th seed in the West. I think they, I think they would have won the battle and beaten somebody out and that they would have been the ninth or 10th seed and they would have lost and been out of the playoffs in either one or two games. The best case scenario you spelled out a week ago is that they would have won and gotten into the real playoffs and been eliminated in five. That was absolutely top shelf best scenario. Can, can we just make sure that everyone understands that your scenario has us feeding out the Lakers and the Warriors? Or the Warriors. The Lakers or the Warriors. Well, you had ninth. Well, ninth would be both. That would be, again, best case. You beat them both. And – I don't know with the Lakers if they're going to play down the stretch. That might not be as hard as you as you say. They've had a lot of injuries. Maybe they'll stay healthy the last third of the season. Maybe. PK, what was your best case? No, what was your likely case scenario? Uh, very similar to what he's saying. Uh, I don't see how you can argue any differently. Maybe I got caught up in the good run that they had uh, several weeks ago thinking, ah, maybe they could be better because these other teams got uh, that you're mentioning are led by two old guys and how long can they continue and blah, blah, blah. I could let my mind wander. Uh, so I understand what you're getting at, but the way that I look at it too is that how many seasons are you going to go through that? Well, best case scenario, we're only going to be in the play-in, so we keep doing this again next year. And if that's the case, do we do it the year after? When do you get out of that? Yeah, no, that's 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 the struggle. I'm I'm 100% with you on that. That's that's a that's the question, but. You, okay, you can decide we're, we're getting out of it, but I don't know that, like, I don't think you're getting out of it today. 
Agreed. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's, yeah, you got to make sure you don't become Detroit or Sacramento for 20 years or Washington hasn't been to, Washington hasn't been anything like 30 years. Yeah, you got to be really careful. That's why I bring up the scenario about a player and a pick or two bringing back a good player because then you get out of it more quickly. If you're trading two picks to move up, I mean, you got to do it if you really believe in the guy, but that's still that's the long way. And and you're drafting somebody who's 19 or 20 years old, and how much are they going to win before they're 23, 24, 25? And that means you're pushing out three, four, five years. And this is, this is the essence of the trick. I mean, what you'd like to do is find a partner in crime for Lowry who's really good and while simultaneously by year three or four, Keontae is good enough to understand how to win, and by year three, Taylor Hendricks is playing like Jonathan Kamingo or Jalen Johnson, and you've got, you know, because frankly, you know, what Oklahoma City is doing is, is different right now. You don't usually see guys winning this early in their career. You usually see it's kind of what Orlando's doing, which is you've got a bunch of nice young pieces who don't really know how to win, and they show you flashes, and then they fall apart a little bit. Yeah, I can buy all that, but now it's on the onus is on management to make sure they cash in. You know, I look at Phoenix, where I got family, so I follow them to a degree. They went 10 years without it and without a postseason, which is just inexcusable. And a large portion of was just a bunch of horrendous deals. That I mean, not deals, but draft choices on and on. The Mark Chris, Dragon Bender, Alex Lamb. These are all top ten picks. Uh, uh, Josh Jackson, I think his name was, out of Kansas, was like the fourth pick. Oh, God, and, right. and, and they sucked. So now management has got to go to work and get some good players. There's a key moment in Phoenix that's worth us thinking about. Phoenix does exactly kind of what the Jazz have done here the last years for a year with Jeff Hornacek, in which they vastly exceed expectations. Everyone gets super excited, and then they decide to put all their – they go for it. I think they trade for, like, Goran Dragic or, or something where they trade Goran. I don't remember all the details. And then next thing you know, they, they – they tried to rush the system, and next thing you know, Oral Watson's their head coach, and next thing you know, they're drafting Josh Jackson with the fourth pick. Like, if you go down that back, that's the first year in which Jeff Hornacek is the head coach, and they, they kind of they do the exact opposite. They go rush the system, and it puts them into a disaster. Then they hit on Devin Booker, and we've got to hit on our version of Devin Booker at some point. Yeah, they had 48 wins, did not make the playoffs with 48 wins. And then they thought, oh, my gosh, we're this close. And they made a bunch of horrific deals. And now everybody from there is long gone, including the owner. Yeah, I mean, that is literally the model that Jazz are trying to avoid right now. How much value do you think there is in Keontae George playing in games like he played in Last night, right right after his coach, with you standing right there, Will Hardy was talking about they've got to feel the arena. They've got to feel all that adrenaline and know i got to settle down and we got to get a good bucket here. I can't get all caught up in the hype. And then, because you were asking the question about what happens when AD gets hot, right? And, and what happens when, uh, I forget who the other star, oh, Kawhi Leonard gets hot. And so sure enough, 
to go out there and Clay Thompson has the third quarter of his life and is hitting everything, and the arena got whipped into that frenzy in the fourth quarter. How much can they really grow in the last third of the season, even though it looks like they're playing for nothing? I had one of the best conversations I've had with a coach in a while about rookies. Um, and we were talking about things, and the coach said to me, I, I just don't know that he wants to be quoted, so I'm not trying to not give him credit. I'm just, you got what I'm saying. He said to me, don't worry about when a rookie does something the first time. See what he does the next time. So, Keontae answers the bell last night. He's great. But with a minute 30 left in the game, he ends up trying to take it over, right? Like, that was the travels, a huge play that kind of cost him the game. On the night where Keontae is a total genius, he goes one-on-one, breaks the play with a left-hand dribble down the lane, and ends up getting himself, turning turning it over on a travel that, to some extent, eliminated, you know, really was very vital in the loss. Okay, don't worry about that he did that. What did he do the next time? I think that's what we're talking about with Keontae and all these young players, is what do they do the next time? So let me give another example on Keontae. I was really dismayed when Aaron Holiday punked him. I don't know if you remember, but Aaron Holiday sees Keontae not playing very hard, comes in the game, gets into his shorts on the very first play of the game, or they did, steals the ball from him, comes back, runs up his chest the other way, totally punks him. I mean, totally punks him. Keontae didn't do anything. So I was talking to someone about it, and I was like, that, like if you do that in this league, you're, you're going to get punked forever. Like, you, you can't do that. They're like, don't worry about it. See what he does the next time. He didn't realize what was happening to him at the time. So next time Keontae's in a game where he's having a great night and he's rolling, and it's a key moment like that, does he try to force it one-on-one or does he stay inside the system and let the game come to him and let the game speak to him? Those are the things that matter. But Keontae is showing terrific growth. He was 99th out of 100 in pick-and-roll efficiency when he got hurt in December. He's 17th in NBA pick-and-roll efficiency since then. That's a massive, massive growth and jump for a player. How much do you think Colin Sexton has changed opinions about him this season? Oh, my gosh. Has any player changed opinions about him more in the NBA? In the entire NBA. That's interesting. I mean, Colin Sexton was known as a – I mean, Will Hardy basically admitted it. Will Hardy in a press conference this year, one of the more interesting answers to any question he was – Given this year, Will Hardy said, sometimes you've got to learn from the player. And Will and Colin Sexton's taught me more than any player I've ever coached in the sense that, that Will admitted, yeah, I was influenced by every story I'd heard. You know, every story about him, which was the fact that he was a ball hog and he put up points on a bad team and he didn't do anything for teammates. And he's like, I, I've experienced nothing similar. The guy's one of the great teammates. We saw it last night with John He said, you know, he was the one who was staying engaged in the game last night when John Collins threw the ball into the crowd, and John's dismayed by it. John's forgotten that there's still four seconds left in the game. And there's a foul that has to be committed, and we still, we're still we not done. Like, in fact, we weren't done because Collins got a great look. But Collins the one who came to John and said, hey, let's keep going. We still, like, and then I don't know if you caught it, but the words inbounded really quickly, and we almost didn't get to the foul. Like, we almost were so dismayed by the ball going out of bounds that we, to Will's point about the ball going up and down, I almost didn't foul. And luckily, I think it was Keontae, it might have been Colin, who actually made the foul on Steph Curry. And so 
Will said it about Colin. That it's just the absolute like let, let's let, let's acquire a guy and let him show us who he is, not let everyone's opinion show us who he is, because he's shown to be exact opposite. And then on the floor, he has slowed down and is being able to distribute the basketball. And he was the worst assist to usage rate player in the NBA for two years, basically, which means that like the rate of assists, the amount of times he shot was the lowest of any player in the league. That's a ball hog. And he and the veterans in Cleveland in his like first year, like revolted around him because he never passed. That is not who we are seeing at all in any way, shape or form. It's awesome. I'm so happy for Colin because if I'm honest about it, earlier this year, I made a comment to someone that I've never been around a player with better intentions with less chance of getting it done. And he <laughs> proved me a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great line. Repeat that one more time. Let people absorb that. I've never been around a player with better intentions of less chance of getting it done. And he proved me 100% wrong. And a little bit to what Will Hardy's saying. I'm sure my thought on that was biased by everything I'd heard and what I'd seen about him. But the truth of the matter is he's an endless worker. He has balanced energy. He plays hard every night. He's gutsy. He gives your team a little texture and edge and he's really good like he's got one of the five best first steps in the nba he's really good like i've always believed that about him even when we traded for him from donovan i got kind of i don't know if you guys wouldn't remember this i obviously would because it's my own you know you you remember when people criticize you but i kind of came out and said like hey this is one of the better offensive players in the league he doesn't have any i said he doesn't have any idea to win he doesn't have any idea to help his team win games but this is an elite elite offensive player that now is beginning to learn how to be that. Now, there are still some struggles for him. He, like, is he at 6'1", though he thinks he's 6'7", and plays like he's 6'7", um, at times, you know, good enough defensively undersized to be able to stay on the floor in big moments? His effort is certainly there, and I wouldn't doubt him. Like, let's give him a chance because he's proven everything else to be the case. Um, have you guys heard the Duran Sharp? Uh, film study story. I think Will told this publicly. I'm pretty certain I can tell this story. Have you guys heard this? Let's hear it. No. So, Jerron Sharp is a 6'11", 260-pound center for the Brooklyn Nets. And they were in a film session, and Sexton's, like, pinned down kind of at the rim on a switch, guarding Sharp. And... um. And like they're saying to like Colin, like you got to talk defensively, you got to call for help at that point. He's like, "Why? <laughs> I got him. I'm good." And they're like, "He's six ten. Yeah, I got. I'm good. I got him. No way he was gonna score on me." Now he might be right because he was Deron Sharp, but the concept is still the same. Like, and this is what you have to just love about Colin is that Colin's guarding Anthony Davis in the post. He fully thinks he has him. Like it's gonna be no problem. I got him. Like that. And and you know what? You have to have illogical confidence at time to help your team, and he certainly does. You would know the answer to this more because you're traveling with the team. You know, through the COVID era, we had really no interaction with players, and the rules are different. There's a little more now, but there's still not a lot. But the two times that I've accidentally had interaction with him, he comes off as a hyper-positive person to the point you wonder if it's kind of a, is this really who he is or like he's dealing with the media so he's making sure he's hyper-positive in this moment. And watching him during games, I kind of see that. And I'm starting to think that he is just a hyper-positive person. That's just how he is. 
Do you see a lot of that? I might put the word. I might put the word "and" in between, and then I think you'd have it perfectly. Okay. All right. Yeah. I truly, like, the first part of my, like, comment about Colin is I've never been around a player whose intentions are better. Colin would do the right thing every single time. Will do. Will try to do the right thing every single time. Like, one of the things that he's gotten through that's, I mean, it's just so impressive what he's done this year. When Colin used to want to do the right thing so much that my analogy I use is he used to buffer. Like, he'd look like a computer screen with a little circle on it. And he'd be at the top of the key with the ball thinking, okay, if – and you could see him calcing it, right? Like, okay, if Lowry comes off the pin down, then I'm supposed to do this. But if we're doing this, then i got to do this. i got to do it right. I gotta, and it was like – it was causing an paralysis by analysis because his desire was so clearly intended to do the right thing. But his game at the time was just pure, unadulterated speed and ambition. He's now changed that. Like, you don't see him sitting at the top of the key waiting for it and buffering. He's reading it quicker. He's slowed down a great deal. He's coming on a pick and roll and sitting in the pocket and letting it play play out and then using his strength. I mean, the work that his coaches have done with him is awesome. To the credit also of Colin, he's just got such great intention. But, I mean, I think if you go look at his game log, that assist number is 5-6-5-6-5-6-5-6-5-6 with some regularity now. And the other thing that we probably don't talk about enough, he's one of the most efficient guards in the NBA, and I will go to my grave preaching that below-average efficiency players are so much more detrimental to your team than anyone in this league talks about. They are absolutely the the death of success. Uh, David, I while you were talking there, I've looked it up, and he is averaging just a shade under six assists since the per game since the first of the year, which is dramatically yeah, better than we saw from him. In October, November, December, uh, I don't know. I'm doing the math here real fast, but it looks like it's basically it looks like he's almost doubled his assists since the first of the year. Can you go to his first two years in the NBA and look at what his assists per minute's played were? Uh, I can. Yeah, do that for me, please. <laughs> yes, he can. I'll get right. I get right on that. And, and, was, and how many shots he took is probably a value in that number, also. He and was, compare that to where he is today. He was averaging one assist every 10 or 11 minutes his first couple of years in Cleveland. And this year, yeah. the entire season, he's averaging about one assist every five minutes. That's incredible. So that is much better. While still, while still shooting about the same amount, right? Uh, he was shooting, yeah, roughly. He's shooting a little more now, yeah. but not much. Just a little. But that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Like, um, And that also, by the way, and... Like, this is one little bit to where you guys, we started the conversation that I think is important. Like, what year is this for him? Basically, he missed a full year due to surgery, and last year was somewhat of just kind of a getting back to health year. But what is this, his fifth full season in the NBA now of playing? Uh, Is that right? This is his sixth year, but he did have the lost year where he only played 11 games in 2021-22. All right, so so 
So Keontae's in year one. Taylor's in year one. This is Colin making this massive jump at year five. We saw Lowry make a massive jump at year, I think it was six or seven. You know, we've got to give these guys a little breathing space, but that's also what makes this whole process of trading your five best players and starting over really, really difficult is that players take time as do humans because they're actually not just video games um, to get better and learn and evolve and mature and realize what's important and what's not and how to play circumstances. And, you know, a little bit to that comment earlier of a rookie, don't worry about what he does the first time, worry about what he does the second time. Like, don't worry about what somebody does their fifth time. Worry about what they do their 15th time. It just takes a long time to have their 15th time of doing things. David, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Enjoy the all-star break. And we will uh, hear you again when the Jazz return to action after a week off. And by the way, I promise you, we're going to look super good in the next first six games back compared to what we looked like in the last four games. Because it might have nothing to do with us. Quality of the opposition, or lack thereof. See, us matters, baby. Thank you, David. Charlotte, Washington, Atlanta, San Antonio. We're going to look way better. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Join us every week right here on The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Joining us now, guard for the Utah Jazz, the one and only Keontae George. Tell us about getting back in the starting lineup and how you're approaching it. I'm still approaching, approaching the game the same way I did. You know, when I was rather I was starting, come off the bench, I was preparing like a starter. So I know when I went into the game, um, I knew how guys were in pick and roll. I knew what they were doing off ball. You know, of course, there's a difference between starting the game and coming off the bench. But for me, it was just about how can I be effective in the role that, that I'm put in. So it's great to, you know, be the starting point guard and for a great organization. And, you know, not a lot of people get this opportunity. So I'm never going to take it for granted. I'm going to continue to work my tail off, continue to trust Will and, you know, his staff, continue to trust my teammates and continue to work to gain the trust of the older guys. And so it's a great journey. It's, of course, it comes with some adversity, but, you know, I love it. So just continuing to grow more and more into my role. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Nominate the use nominate the youth sports volunteer that you know for the Hercules Hero of the Week. Submit your nomination at kslsports.com forward slash contest and listen to every Thursday afternoon to JJ and Alex for the winner. Help us celebrate the efforts of those volunteers making an impact with the Hercules Hero of the Week, sponsored by Hercules Credit Union. We just spoke with David Locke. How did the Jazz build from here? Where are they going? What are the plans going forward? How much are the young guys improving going to do it? How much is it front office moves that is going to make a change? And PK, obviously, it's going to take the front office adding a lot of talent to the roster. But all the team controls in the short run, and all we're really going to see between now and the end of the season is how much the young guys improve. And we can talk about uh, Collins firing the ball into the crowd, and I have to say... I've seen a lot of jazz games over the last 30 years, and I don't ever remember a pass going by either team going that far up into the crowd. I mean, it was something to see. But this is not why they lost the game. They lost the game because they played the second quarter with none of the fire and intensity they played the fourth quarter with. That was the big – even the third quarter, which was hideous, you know, well, he's Clay Thompson, and if he gets in the zone, even 
even a guy who physically isn't what he was, he's come back from a couple of major injuries. But nonetheless, if he gets in the zone in a quarter, or in the zone, that will happen. The, the second quarter to me was the real, uh, that was the real problem. And so one thing they always talk about in any professional sport how consistent are you? It's awesome that you do something that's great or something that's awful, but nobody's 10 out of 10 and nobody's 0 out of 10 or you wouldn't be in pro sports. How often do you do the right thing? And I think that's the thing we're going to have to watch for over the final third of the season with these young guys is, do they do the right thing and how often can they repeat it? Because if you're, if you're not consistent, you're not going anywhere in pro sports. Does anybody care about the second quarter? Does anybody care about Collins throwing the ball in the stands? Those are all short-term concerns. And they have nothing to do with what the team is going to do when it wins. Nothing. I don't know that I'd go with nothing. Well, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry ain't going to be in the league. (laughs) That's true. Uh, I think the fans are interested in when is this team going to be competitive? Just tell us when. Give us some timeline. Do we have to go through this this season? Obviously, yes. Do we, because that's my concern. You can talk about, okay, well, they were going to finish ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, with or without those uh, guys that they got rid of, right? And Abaji, you you know, you can get a pick, and Olenek, Olenek is going to be a free agent, and Fontecchio is a restricted free agent with a team that has $70 million, so they made that trade. All right. Fine, like y- you did it because your ceiling was very very low, right? It's uh, the ceiling is the scoreboard. It's not the roof, and all right, we can deal with that now. But what's going to be different next uh, a week ago this time next year? Right? Are, are they going to be in the same spot? And so the first half of the season in terms of getting for the postseason, is going to be for not? Or would they not have made those trades if they were 10 games above 500? Because the circumstances are exactly the same, right? It, no matter what the record was, Olenek was always going to be a free agent and Fontecchio was always going to be a restricted free agent. And somebody, whether the Pistons traded for him or not, Pistons were always going to have that cap room, and if they liked him, they could outbid you or what you were willing to pay. That doesn't matter. The record is irrelevant. Those circumstances were going to be the same. So would we have said if they were five games above 500, would we have said, wow, man, what's their ceiling? It's out in the first round? Suppose they finish sixth. There's no way they're going to beat the Clippers who are going to finish third. So we're going to make this move. So how many times are we going to have to go through this before they're going to say, hey, screw it, we're going to have – improvement this year and if we get knocked out in the first round we get knocked out in the first round because jc stood up there and said well if we keep the pick great if we don't keep the pick great it really doesn't matter and they went ahead and they made the moves right so what about next year because the philosophy that i think gets a little dangerous here is unless you're playing to win it all what's the difference at some point, you have to land in the middle because that is how you're going to get to the top. You're very unlikely to make the 30-game jump and just jump over the middle. So at some point, you have to accept that you are in the middle. You need to be in the middle improving, not stuck in the middle, which is a common NBA phrase. 
I think the only thing in your buildup that I would disagree with, I, I'm 100% on board you with Kelly Olenek. He was exactly who we thought he was. We knew the contract situation he was in. We knew he'd be a free agent. I mean, that was all 100% predictable. Fontecchio, I think, took a big step forward. I don't know that anyone knew he was going to play that well and be in a position to get that kind of contract. So maybe that changed from opening day to the day of the trade just because he changed from opening night until the day of the trade. Olenek was 100% predictable. Abaji was mostly predictable. I, maybe he regressed a little bit, <laughs> really. And so that, that would be a little unpredictable. I don't, I don't think anybody's really complaining about Abaji being moved. It's, it's the other two. But I get your point. If, it, if you always view the middle as uh, not worthwhile and you make trades that move you back towards the bottom, how do you ever go forward? And how quickly do you end up stuck? You know, this is two years of Ainge missing the playoffs. Now, he's, this is his third rebuild, and he had uh, one rebuild where they missed the playoffs one year and then another rebuild where they missed the playoffs two years. And in the NBA right now, the only team, I guess the Pistons and Spurs, this will be their fifth straight year out. Uh, the Hornets have missed it seven years in a row, and this will be eight. So, to your point, once you're, once you're in a rebuild for a third, a fourth, a fifth year, how, how long is it going? The Thunder and Pacers and Magic have all missed three years in a row, and they're going to make it. They're going to end those streaks. How right, long so- How long does it go? How many years do you miss? And in the Jazz rebuilds, they missed three years after Stockton and Malone. I think you can argue injuries made the third one happen. The roster was getting there, but they didn't quite pull it off. Uh, and, then, and then they were in every year for four years. Okay, you know, but, but who gives a crap of what happened in the second How long? Because night? you know, because we've watched rebuilds, and we know how long they take. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such a level of expectation. This is what jazz fans are used to. You know, right, that, so that's, that's what they want to know. In the second quarter, eh, want If they so want to trade a player, I, I think the path to getting better and being in the playoffs next year and being well into the playoffs is are they going to trade a lot of picks for a player that comes available or a player and a pick? Are they going to make trades? Because I don't think they can draft their way well, into a to. quick rebuild. I know, because the nine rookies is way too many. Who has three first-year players, three second-year players, and three third-year players? And what do you win if you have that? The G League. <laughs> the G League. So that, that's what I'm talking about, is what, when do you anticipate going all in? And what is all in? Is it finishing first or forget it because they're going to be in the same situation most likely again next year and that's year three and how do i know they're not going to be in the same situation the year after year four well i want to i want to have some type of timeline here of where we're going because for some folks then fans don't run the organization i get it uh but i'm a fan i'm not an owner i'm not a gm uh, I, I wasn't good enough to play. I have no skills to be able to be a, a front office guy. Uh, but they want to know because they got their hopes up and a postseason berth wasn't good enough because they knew the circumstances going into the season, right? They could have made those moves way earlier. Maybe maybe they couldn't. Uh, so I, ta- I take that back. But what's the philosophy of this rebuild? I have no problem with what they did, but I'm speaking for the fan, the fan who's invested 
every single game wants to know. Because how do we prevent this from happening again next year? Because that'll be, if it happens, it'll be a huge come down when we get to the season and they're playing fairly well. They got a shot and then they pull back again. DJ PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Stay with us. Accessing. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. Bob Nightingale, Major League Baseball columnist for USA Today. There were some comments that you made prior that you feel like Nashville and Salt Lake City may be the leaders right now. Is that accurate? Do you feel like Salt Lake has a decent shot at this? Yeah, I'm talking to baseball uh, officials. They want, you know, one team east, one team west. And, uh, you know, I asked them who the leaders in the clubhouse are. You know, it's always been Nashville, but they, uh, yeah, Salt Lake, just with the uh, the funding and the ownership group and everything else, you know, they like what they see a lot from uh, Salt Lake officials. And, uh, you know, right now, I, I, I think they're in a great position, you know, to get that team whenever expansion comes. Catch Hanson Scotty weekdays from noon to 3 on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. So, 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 so. DJ PK, it's 97.5, The Zone. It is All-Star Weekend. Where does the NBA All-Star Game rank on your list of TV sports viewing this weekend? And PK... This got a lot of reaction. Melody, I enjoy the Saturday skills competition. Go Lowry. But I generally don't see much of the game. Shane, I won't watch it until and unless it gets back to being a game where the players are actually trying to win it. Not going to happen. Dustin, somewhere between last and second to last. David, dead last. (laughs) D-Ray Palmer, between zero and none. Chad, if you don't play defense, then it's not basketball. Hard pass on viewership. I do like the three-point contest, though. Yeah. Guys are trying to win. It's actual competition. And that's Saturday night? Yes. Yeah, I got to say, since it was in Salt Lake last year that I did watch the Friday, Saturdays. Well, I watched all three, for that matter. Uh, you know, because it's in Salt Lake and we need, may, may need to talk about it. So I did watch three nights of it. And there's no question that Friday and Saturday are better. I don't want a joke. All-Star Game has turned into a joke. It's it's interesting to me that the All-Star Game has turned into a joke. I tell the story of we moved to Phoenix. I'm a huge NBA guy. Not much into the college because of growing up in the Northeast, right? The Knicks were where it's at. I mean, everybody talked about the Knicks where I grew up. Right, I mean, I grew up 30 miles away from Madison Square Garden in on the Jersey side, obviously. But the Knicks were such a big deal. And I see that the All-Star Game is coming to the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which seems preposterous now. Uh, but, you know, it came there, and my father worked weekends, but he had off. It was a Tuesday night. And so I said, Dad, do you think there's any way we could go? Yeah, let me see what I could do. And my father, and I'll start crying if I talk about him too much, he would have given me the world. He gave me everything he had. That's a fact. He didn't have much, but whatever he had, he gave 100%. And so he said, yeah. So we go down there, park, walk up to the box office, and buy tickets to the game that night. And it was an intense game. And so I was big time into it. And now 
they don't do it. And what's interesting to me is they've never had better situations in terms of travel and all the stuff and trainers and dietitians and blah, blah, blah. But they still believe they play too many games. So I don't know if that's the reason why they don't go all out. But nevertheless, they don't go all out. And that's the situation that we've got. But Friday and Saturday was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So I imagine this year I'll do the same thing. I watch Friday and Saturday. I always joke about. Uh, well, I don't really joke about it. I mean, it's kind of a joke. Uh, people talk about. <laughs> well, it's semi-serious. There's some truth to it, and then you you know you play it a little bit to get. I a love laugh. when you argue with yourself. Yeah. Well, I knew I wasn't being precise, and I knew you were going to call me on it. So I, I did end up arguing with myself as I dialed in a little more what I meant. People talk about, hey, you get paid, and you cover sports, and it's great, and it mostly is. And I, and I joke with people, right, there are a lot of games that I get paid to see, and I would, I would 100% watch them for free. <laughs> Absolutely. But there are games I get paid to watch. I get paid to watch the All-Star game. I would not watch that thing for free. If I were a fan and not in sports media and was just living my life doing whatever else I would have ended up doing— there are a lot of games I would absolutely watch, and the All-Star Game wouldn't be one of them. I, I'm enough of a fan that I would probably watch games of the local team, even if the local team traded guys away and had no chance of going to the playoffs, I'd be the fan who would have watched that game last night. I would have. I would have watched it for free. But not the All-Star Game. I would watch the three-point shootout. I don't really like the dunk contest, and that probably comes back to stuff getting partly it's judged and then partly it's like I see these guys throw down incredible dunks with seven footers jumping at them trying to block them the dunk contest throwing stuff down when there's nobody on the court I know you can do that I've seen you do far more amazing things than that the dunk contest doesn't really do it for me it's harmless it is harmless it's fine I mean they're already there and they got a crowd there and people want to do it you do it knock yourself out but it's not what makes me turn on the TV three point shooting and if they had a horse contest, I would absolutely watch that. That thing's been pitched a million times. I'd watch that. If they had a one-on-one tournament, I'd watch that. I think all those things would be real competition. And the three-point shooting is those guys are trying to make those shots. And to see somebody get hot and make 10, 12, 13 in a row, whatever they do, it catches my eye. Sabrina. She's drawing me in. Sabrina. The former Oregon Duck against Steph Curry in the three-point shooting contest. <laughs> the NBA, I blocked out my calendar. Don't N- call me or text me then. The NBA should give Caitlin NIL money and get Caitlin Clark there too. Let's go. Let's get all the best shooters. Light it up. Well, I think she's got a game, though. <sighs> Pay Iowa to move the game. <laughs> money makes the world go round. Pay Iowa to move the game. <laughs> We're the NBA. We'll fund some like scholarships. That. Move the game. Get Kalen to the All-Star game. We're going to have, after the three-point shootout, we're going to have a half-court shootout. Would I stick around and watch a half-court shootout? You know I would, and I'm not alone. Let's do half it. Half-court shootout? Half-court shootout. How many can you make I'll, out of 10 from the center circle? Let's go. I would watch that. Oh. 100%. Uh, Clark, she'd make 8 out of 10. Good. Put her in the game. I'm ready. <laughs> Whoever, you wait a year. Anybody who can make shots from center court, let's go. It's all for fun. And that's fun. You would know you would watch if uh, if uh, 
five of them. If Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and Sabrina and Caitlin got out there and uh, wanted to see uh, who could make the most out of ten from midcourt, you'd watch. That's kind of that. That's too fluky. I think we'd find out it isn't fluky. I think we'd, you and I would go out there and try to make one or two out of ten. I bet they'd go out there, get dialed in, and make four or five out of ten. Well, what, so what? They're not going to take ten half quarters in the course of the year. So what? Who cares? You'd still watch it, it on All-Star any, Weekend. You won't would, jump I'd over. Much a, rather, you're not going to jump over a car in a game either, but on Dunk in the Dunk Contest, we'll watch it. Well, he brought out a car and he jumps over. over a car. <laughs> I, I, what they should do is trump it up and do like teams. You know, a man and a woman against a man and a woman, or two teammates against two teammates uh, on another team, that type of thing. I, I, I can enjoy that. Blake Griffin jumped over a car. What do you mean nobody does? Blake Griffin did it. He jumped over a Kia. Go look on YouTube. Well, De- I'm talking about in a game, nobody jumps over a car. Nobody's going to do it blindfolded either, but we had a dunk contest with a blindfold That's not in true. it. That's not true. Jordan and Bird shot free throws blind that closed their eyes. Blindfolded. That's the same thing. It's not. Well, close your eyes is uh, closing your eyes and blindfolded is the same. The result is the same thing. They were peaking. You know they were. I believe them. That's my innocence, and I'm going to take that to the grave, just as Locke is going to take the effective field goal percentage or whatever <laughs> he's going to take to the grave. He's taking something to the grave. DJ PK, it's 97.5 The Zone.